right, welcome back or welcome to Ted and Yogi's Pack Toll Adventure. We got a bunch of formats. You're seeing us for the first time on this podcast, Ted. So we'll be able to check this out on our YouTube channels. We'll upload the video, of course, to Facebook and all social platforms wherever you listen to podcasts. It's been a while since you got our end of season, really after the Rose Bowl, right? Uh, so if you're kind of refreshing your iTunes or however you listen to podcasts, you'll see a fresh one. And you're going to hear a lot more or see a lot more of us, whether you like it or not. Um, you got us in a bunch of categories, Ted. It's great to see you as usual, man. Oh, man, I feel like I could reach out and just give you a, well. A <laughs> yeah, 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 there it is. <laughs> you know, look, look, uh, we're watching all of us because of our situations. And by the way, I'm coming to you from Shelter in Place headquarters in Northern California. You haven't gotten there yet, Yod, but I uh, I really feel, I feel good as, as restrictive and as unusual as this is, I feel good in the Bay Area where we have a high number of cases right now. But they're taking steps to to try to stop this from becoming any worse than it it is going to be. Um, but we're we're learning about how we can do these things, and we're learning since I live in the middle of Silicon Valley what technology enables us to do, how we can communicate, and how yeah, those of us that have gone from basically from a hundred to zero right <laughs> miles per hour in our daily lives. And we still have something to do, something to say, stories to share. And, uh, and look, you and I share a love of, of college athletics. And last week, uh, being in Las Vegas uh, and just watching how college athletics dealt with something that none of us, you know, as we all understand, there's no precedent, no playbook, no guidebook for this. I thought the Pac-12 and college athletics dealt with it extremely, extremely well. And I know Yammer was, you know, you've talked to him already about it. Um, and I'm sure I'd echo a lot of what he said. Yeah. So on that note, um, you know how much I revere you. You don't like hearing it from me very often, but that's okay. Um, I was with my wife and Zane, we were watching the tournament games and we saw the end of the pregame show. Mike Yam kind of closed it with a piece of paper, really when he was kind of told what was going on. Uh, and at the time it was going to be no fans allowed in the tournament. And then I saw the open from the game and I watched you and I listened to the beginning of the game and I turned to Amy, my wife, and I was like, he's such a freaking pro because you made it about the game. Nobody tunes in to hear no offense and, and you're not offended. Like your take on COVID-19 necessarily at the start of the game, but there's a lot of broadcasters that listen to this um, and people watch sports. I'm curious if you could take us inside how you dealt with real time news and then decided or not decided what to say to the people that were watching. Yeah, Yogi, thank you so much. That, that's, it was interesting, again, because we had no – we were we were in a couple of situations. Yammer, as he did the pregame and tossed it to me, and I made sure I got on the talk back to Molinari. I hope the world is okay that we don't have Molinari with us today. I'm sure he's <laughs> off. No, probably – well, I don't know what he's doing. But um, – I made sure I, I communicated with Michael quickly saying, look, I'm, I need to say something as we start and I'm not going to repeat what Mike Am just said, but, and I also don't have a whole lot of information, but what I simply tried to do and if I remember it was 10 or 15 seconds of just acknowledging the moment that we're in, that this is a basketball game and it pales in comparison to what the world is embarking upon. And if you're choosing to watch, I mean, the, 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 uh, the message I'm sending, and I hope it was inferred by people, was that if you're watching, I get the fact that you're here because it's a basketball game. And if you want to hear news about uh, the, this crazy world that we're entering that 
we have no expertise about. You're watching other channels, plenty of other people that have expertise on that. We don't. So um, the, the, the bizarre moment was as the games unfolded, and I can't precisely remember which, I think it was during the first game of two, but you know, look, in our world today, things are known instantaneously. So Ray does a great job keeping stats for us in the last Vegas, shows me his phone, and it's Tom Hanks. And then he shows me his phone 10 minutes later, and it's Gobert. And then 20 minutes later, he shows me his phone, and it's the NBA has called everything off. And this is happening while we're calling games, and we're on the air, and the arena was, you know, there might have been 5,000, 7,000 people there. Uh, and what's unsettling is that I'm getting messaged and from people I like and respect that are incredulous. They're watching because they're fans, but they're going, how can you not acknowledge what's going on? How can the Pac-12 not shut this thing down? And we're sitting there in a little bit of a vacuum. I mean, I knew the basic headlines, but I knew nothing beyond that. So it was a very difficult moment from in that regard. Um, I don't know that I would have done it any differently if I were the Pac-12. You had your games going on. They had already said that there were going to be no people in the building tomorrow. Um, and then, Yogi, what I know what happened is we left the building that night. We went, we went out, Bill Walton, Molinari, myself, uh, Lewis Johnson, Scott Barkey. We had a little dinner. It was late into the evening. And we were all sort of don't really know what tomorrow is going to bring. And we woke up in the morning, and there it was basically we're, we were called to a meeting uh, and as we were getting ready to go to the meeting, bing, our phones all ding with the announcement, tournament off. And then subsequently, when I found out, we went to the arena. Uh, I mean, it was amazing, Yogi, because this happened, what, about 9, 15 in the morning in Las Vegas. We had a 10 a.m. meeting, and at 10 a.m., they were already tearing down the T-Mobile arena. I mean, that's wow. how fast this happened. And we had a, a wonderful meeting with Larry Myers, our our boss led it and just basically told us, hey, everything's shut down and don't know when anything's going to happen again. So basically get out of here and go home. But I did talk to Larry Scott, which I know Yammer did an interview with him. But what I thought was great was Larry just said to me in an off-air conversation that that morning, the five major the Power Five conference commissioners had been on a conference call. And they had made a collective, they'd arrived at this collective moment that we're all shutting down. And the interesting thing was, I know that at, uh, that was, uh, Larry told me it was about 7 a.m. Pacific, which would have been 10 a.m. East. At about 9.30 a.m. East, John Swafford, the commissioner of the ACC, went on the ACC network, did an interview and said, we're going to play. We're going to play with no fans. And then comes this phone call. And then following that phone call is the announcement, actually, no, we're not playing. Yeah. And everybody shut down. But the five conferences, the Power Five conferences got together in, I'm not saying it was a collective decision, but they all were on a call together, the five commissioners, to do this. And, uh, and the other thing that happened, Yogi, that you know, that I think is important for, for people to understand, is that this is not an athletic decision, right? People think this is just a decision about a basketball tournament. And it's the athletic directors that get, no, no. This was done by the presidents and the chancellors of all the universities, right? This isn't just the Pac-12 saying we're, we're going to play this tournament or not play this tournament. And so, you know, for example, one small example in our conference, the president of the University of Arizona is Bobby Robbins, Dr. Bobby Robbins, whose career was largely as a major cardiothoracic surgeon at Stanford Hospital. He's now the president of the University of Arizona. He's a medical man. 
So when he gets this decision brought to him, I'm just guessing, but I'm assuming Bobby, like every other person involved in this role who would have a medical background, we go, what are you talking about? We can't play. This is done. Yeah. This is done. Stanford shut down its university Wednesday afternoon, right? They told their students to leave Wednesday afternoon. Wednesday night, the basketball team played in Vegas. How in the heck was that basketball team going to play on Thursday, right? When the university has shut down. So um, that was, I think, the biggest part of what happened was understanding, to me, Yog, the difference between college and pro which is that Adam Silver did an incredible job. He clearly had discussed all these ramifications with his owners, but that's a professional business that can make a singular decision, which was a beautiful decision, but they could do that. This was universities making decisions, not athletic departments. So then when Duke calls the NCAA and says, you know, by the way, when it comes to March Madness, whatever you think, we're not playing right? You guys do, if you make the decision to go ahead, we're not part of it. When Duke says that to you, pretty much makes up your mind. Yeah. It, it was such a, you know, I, in my athletic career, I can remember being at Pitt during 9-11 and we had a game all set to play. And of course that game got postponed till December. You know, they added a week to the end of the season. Um, and then, but, but sports, we can all remember, like the Yankees game. We can all remember certain moments in sports, you being a New Yorker. You can remember different moments. I remember playing the next week against Miami and everybody, including the Hurricanes and us. Great picture. It was a flag that was 53 and a third by 120. It was the whole field and everybody held a part of the flag. But we got to play. Now, now we, we, who knows, right? Spring football, clearly done. March Madness, clearly done. Um, who knows even about the season? You know, not that we need to necessarily project, but the point being, like, it's such a foreign concept. Curious for you how, how you're processing it, being somebody who's worked in sports your entire life. Like, you had a great tennis tournament. It was supposed to be already, I guess it would be going on right now. That ain't happening anymore. So kind of curious for somebody who's been around the business, you've been seasoned, just how you've operated. Well, you know, look, we're, in, we're, we're all together in this, and uh, a lot of us, are, are being hurt in our business because as my daughter very wisely uh, labeled this the other day, I heard her in a business conversation and she referenced the event-based economy. And I said, I'm stealing that phrase. It was beautiful to describe um, what we live in and I mean, millions of people. So we're not alone, my gosh. Um, I was, as we all do in my community, was talking with someone the other day who, um, uh, his son-in-law runs a valet parking business, basically provides valet parking services for private events when people have weddings, uh, whatever. Had to lay off 51 people uh, two, or two days after the uh, shut. So Wednesday was last Friday. You know, multiply that by a million or two million as we're learning every day now. So these things are, are just are, are, are terrible for everybody who's lost. I think the other thing that I keep coming back to, Yoga, and I mentioned this last week in the immediate aftermath, was that none of us have ever lived through anything like this. The last, as, as we've all heard, the last major um, uh, situation was 1918 and 1919. So that's a century ago. My mother was telling me there was a polio. She lived, remembers living through a polio outbreak in New York, probably world, the latter part of World War II. Um, but I think that's the point I was going to make. World War II was the last time that America was 
really in a position of having to sacrifice, right? Of having to pull together as a nation uh, where there was rationing. And I don't remember either. Obviously, I wasn't alive, but I've read all the stories and grew up with parents that were part of it, just like you did. So these are new waters for all of us. And um, I, I, I just, I, I think we'll all project, obviously, look, we're all coming from a place of not knowing anything. Right. When it comes to this, we know all of us are together in that Dr. Fauci knows a little bit. The rest of us know nothing. Um, and so, you know, opining and all those sorts of things, guessing, projecting. I, I think you, you would be in a great place because I, I think I told you this before we started. I've spent uh, a decent amount of time the last four or five days trying to do something I was inspired actually by a, a sermon I heard at a church service over the weekend, but, you know, taking this opportunity, this horrible time to be better people. So Olympic athletes that are here, most of them are around Stanford and they're training for an Olympic games that right now are still on, but who knows? They don't know. Uh, Stanford university shuts its whole campus down, kicked everybody off, including their Olympic athletes that are training. Just you have to go. And liability is largely the reason, which is a sad commentary on our, on our country today, but that's another conversation. So I, I've spent some time this week and in, with incredible assistance from some wonderful people in our community, I found them places to train, including about two hours ago was with a very well-known Olympian and got this athlete a place to at least try to do some simulated training today. And it's all through the and the phrase I keep coming back to is the generosity of community. And we saw this after 9-11 in a different way. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the thing we need right now, the generosity of community. And that's what I've seen around here just in this little experience this week with a lot of people that I've reached out to opening their doors, more than willing to open up and say, yes, let's help. Um, and the uncertainty that we're all living with all of us have it is it's, you know, the uncertainty, uncertainty makes fear, or I think it breeds fear yeah. and fear then leads to irrational behavior. Yeah. What's hoarding in the supermarkets, right? It's right. irrational behavior rooted to me in fear. So take it back to where we started in sport, you know, you as an athlete. So these athletes, these Olympic athletes who spend four years, eight years, some of them 12 years, training and they get one shot every four years to do it. one shot. And now this shot to them, and they've been on a rigid training schedule for years, knowing exactly what they're going to do to build up, to be at their best for their trials. And then if they qualify for the games and it's all up in the air right now, that's really, that's been, it's been staggering for me to see that today. Cause I, as much as I've been around the Olympics, I've never seen it from this viewpoint. I've never seen it from the viewpoint of these 20 somethings that are all either definitely going to be there or hoping to qualify. And right now they don't know what to do. And there are a lot of, there's probably, there could be 25,000 athletes across America right now that are all in the same boat, whatever their sport, they're trying to figure out what to do. How do I train in this unprecedented time to see it firsthand to me was really, uh, it's been really jarring this week. Yeah, no, what, what a unique take. You know, I think about, I hear that, and then I think about um, my brother's in town, he's staying with us, and 
I think what this has forced everybody to do, of course, is slow down, hit pause to a degree, be around the people that they care about. And I've never really been a fan of the word perspective. Like somebody dies and you're like, oh, let me pause, get great perspective on life. I try to compete to live with perspective. And that is like ridiculously difficult to do. But with that being said, I think for athletes, um, it's going to give and recreate a love for the craft, right? We're in an era where it's a love for this and this and this and, and my brand, right? And, and you know me, I, I'm into the idea that athletes should and our brands and should develop their stories very well. But to me, it, it's crossed over to the dark side prior to all this going on. And I think now when the sport gets taken away from you, which it always does, whether it's retirement and a team not signing you, if you're a professional, you've been around that world, injury, your body, maybe your talent, that happened to me, I wasn't good enough, so you're just done playing. I think this is going to recreate a beautiful love for the craft, whether you're playing Pac-12 football, basketball, whether you're a spring sport athlete, you get another year of eligibility. Uh, I, I saw a couple of NBA players, I think it was like LeBron, he put out a video of like, man, I love this game so much. And it was cool to hear that from somebody like him, you know, who's got more money than God, you know, than, than you can imagine, has all the shows you can imagine, but the game got taken away. So I think there's something in this where our passion, and I know even as a broadcaster, I can't wait, wait to stand next to you. I don't know when it'll be, but I can't <laughs> wait to do that at the 50 and smile when you welcome me into the show and, and away we go for three and a half hours. So to talk about the game that we love. So it, it's, it's a, it's a long view, uh, but I think that's happening. You know, I talked to a coach in the NFL today. He said, so what are you doing? And he's like, dude, we had Zoom calls where we're doing run game install, literally as a coaching staff. So then I think about like USC football. They got a whole new defensive staff. Are they doing that with players to teach them? Because it's not like the NCAA is monitoring the hours right now, right? Like there's, too, there's way too much going on to count how many hours a week a coach is spending with this team, let alone how many hours they have with their family responsibilities or whatever. So I can't wait as we on this podcast unearth some of these stories that are happening amid this unique time, you know, in our world of, of sports here on the West coast. Yeah. That, you know, it's human nature. You never, or I shouldn't say never often we don't appreciate what we have until we don't have it. And I think you're right. And, and that's something I was talking to, some of these Olympic athletes about was that I, I think when, when we do get back and we, we won't jump back right away, it'll take us a while to ease back. But when we do ease back in, I think in our specific world of sports, I think we're going to go back from zero to a hundred. Yeah. I think everybody's going to try to do things quickly. They're going to try to reschedule events, events that were postponed. And so as a result, we may have a lot of overlap. We made a lot of sport condensed into a short period of time. That's a lot better than not having sport, isn't it? It's Amen. work, it's jobs, it's opportunity, it's competition. Those are all right now, those are positives. So, yeah, everybody in sport, the football world, you just outlined it brilliantly. Football is the least affected of the major sports because of the calendar right now. Ultimately, it could be the most effective because, as we understand from previous from staff and Mirsa, football, vulnerability to infection, you know, real from player, has been very high. So right now, this is actually, to me, a blessing for football in terms of 
they're not, the men are not congregated right now in locker rooms. You're not in mini camps or OTAs yet, or spring ball got called off uh, where the, 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 the past history shows infection spread football's been far more vulnerable than any other sport. Yeah. I think as we get on in this podcast series, it's, it's going to be interesting to, to get in those conversations around, you know, what do we think is going to happen with football season? Where do we think it's going to go? Is it just going to be conference games? You know, like, yeah. I think athletes now and okay, they're doing the Herschel Walker workout, right? How many pushups you can do, drop all the cards, right? Like whatever card it is, you do those pushups and that's just a reality. And, you know, they're not eating like they would, would if they were on campus. Like there's a lot of factors, let alone, you know, the acumen element of it. So there, there's a lot to, to break down there, but I want to pause on this pod for a second, Ted, and you are as good of a storyteller as I've ever been around. I learn from you every week, uh, let alone every day. And I want to take time in this pod format to tell a story. So I want, I'd love you to share a story that you think, uh, you know, lights you up around a Pac-12 athlete. It could be in the way in the past. It could be Bill Walton, the guy you sit next to. It could be somebody in the future. It could be present, whatever you want. And then I'm going to do the same. And I think that'll be a fun way for us to kind of close out these episodes as we continue to really crank up the episodes here at this time. Yeah. Um, you know, Yogi, just, I'm changing my mind. I had, I had one ready to go here, but I'm going to save it for our next one. And just because of that intro, uh, let me start with something that just happened in Las Vegas. Uh, the one day and night that there was uh, fo- uh, basketball play, uh, two football coaches were there. And I had a chance to see a guy that I, well, we both have had some priors. You much more than I have had prior with Nick Rolovich. And Rolovich was there. And of course, uh, we went up and shared old arena football stories again. And he, uh, he is going to be a wonderful hire for Washington State. In fact, I'm glad I saw Pat Chun, the athletic director, and had a chance to tell him his face. Two for two in one year. Kyle Smith, basketball, Nick Rolovich, football. Well done. But the real story, um, I was surprised to see him there. He was there in person, sitting with a great basketball player in the Pac-10 era from his school, Detlef Shrimp, Chris Peterson was there. And I'm so happy because uh, through your credibility, Yogi, and through your past connections with with Coach Pete, I've had a chance to get to know him a little bit more and reach out. But to see him face-to-face, and I walked up to him and I commended him for how he handled his change, how he announced it right at the end of the season, gave the school – time to make the decisions necessary before signing days. Jim Cohen, the athletic director, did the right thing by immediately promoting Jimmy Lake so that the the program stays from within. The incoming signees all understand exactly who they're going to play for, what the situation is. And for a program that Chris did a massively important job of rebuilding its national prominence, For him to make a decision that caught everybody by surprise in the manner in which he did with integrity means that program goes on with just the most minor. And he he said, I won't be any change. I said a minor, minor little skip on the EKG. But but in this day and age, well done. So uh, I don't know what Chris Peterson's going to do. You you may know or down the line, at least have a guess. Guys, guys, quality guy. And is a winner, which Boise State first found out. Washington found it out. And I think in this time, we so needed someone to stand up and act with integrity, 
whose word meant something. And Chris Peterson did that. Man, I love that you went there because the day COVID-19 at least was announced in Seattle, I landed there, I turned my phone on and the alert came up and I was going there to host a fundraiser for Washington state. I've done it for probably the last five or six years. And this is of course the first year with coach Rolovich and to stand on the stage next to him. And, you know, I, you know, it, it's not my show. So I just kind of tee him up and lean back and to hear him talk about the pride of what that community is like in Pullman. And he, he got it. He got it instantly. And then of course, you know, the players talking, it's a totally different style of leadership, him versus Mike Leach. It's, it's going to be great because anytime I think you have drastic change, it's a good thing. I think it's hard when, you know, if things are just going okay, you bring in somebody that's just, you know, kind of staying with the same rows, staying with the same, same message. He's not that. Um, and selfishly, it's my favorite offense in the history of football. Because uh, <laughs> I played in that for, for a while. He's still Harris. a wide receiver. That's right. Still are. Run and shoot. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that one. Um, and then the next morning, I went to breakfast with Chris Peterson. So, so I love that you said that because within about a 12-hour window, I was with them. Within a five-hour window, you were with them. And those are two rock stars, you know, for totally different eras of their careers. But you're right. The great examples of young men developing and becoming real men. And uh, we'll link in this. There's a great article in The Athletic today. I think it was about like six things we learned from Chris Peterson. And one of the sixth one, I think the sixth one was um, his program, his Built for Life program works. And it was all former players talking about how he really built them to become fathers and men. And I think a quote that resonated with me, a player had a baby and he said, coach, how do I be a good father? And he goes, be a good husband. And you've told me that since I met Amy and thought I was going to marry her. So um, I love your story. Uh, yeah. By the be- way, Yogi's going to be a dad coming up. So there, keep that in mind. Yeah. The two of you, you and Amy, that's how you're good parents. The two of you. Yeah, totally, man. Um, so with that being said, I'll, I'll keep my story short. Uh, I was kind of going through current roster, previous rosters. And my story I want to tell today is about Jared Goff. And we love Jared for a lot of reasons. Uh, I remember being on campus this first day he was there. I remember meeting him at the Elite 11, a high school camp the previous summer. The Elite 11 that year was the who's who of quarterbacks. It was Max Brown, it was Christian Hackenberg, Asante Woolard, who ended up at UCLA, won the MVP that year. Um, it was uh, 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 Malik Zaire, Notre Dame, Luke Del Rio went to Alabama, Oregon State, Florida. I mean, it was it was packed. Uh, Danny Etling, who was started at Purdue and then LSU and was the Patriots for a while, and Jared just continued to be surgical. He was he was quiet. He had an, he had like a confidence that bordered arrogance about him, but didn't say much. He was about 165 pounds. You know, dripping wet. You knew he was going to Cal. You knew they had Zach Klein. You knew they had um, oh, I'm blanking on his name. They, they had a couple of really talented quarterbacks that were already there, guys that have came through the Elite Eleven. And I was like, this will be interesting. You know, he committed to uh, a coach, Jeff Tedford, who was subsequently let go. Mm-hmm. Stayed with his commitment. Wanted to go to Cal. His family had the bloodlines there, and he showed up. And we were filming the drive, uh, the documentary series on the Pac-12 Networks. I'd recommend it if you're looking for something to binge. Go to pack-12.com, watch all the drives, start with year one. We can, we can binge those. Yes, you can. Yeah. Great. Yeah, you can binge those. Good. And uh, I think they're even on YouTube as well. Um, that being said, Jared comes in and he just has this way about him. He's rocking number 16 and we know who wore 16 in the Bay Area for, for so long. <laughs> it was his idol and Joe Montana. And 
And he just starts dealing and dealing and dealing. And they go 1-11. And we cover the whole season. And I'm talking first time in college football um, in a documentary series, a player was mic'd up. We would mic up Jared multiple times. We mic'd up his coach. We heard everything as a production company, every single thing, good, bad, and different, and made the decisions, of course, of what to air and what not to. That being said, fast forward to last year, I sat down with Jared Goff in a conversation with him, um, had it on my podcast. Go back to it if you haven't listened to it. And in front of a live audience, and Jared talked about how some players come from rough upbringings. Some people don't have two parents. Some people aren't socioeconomically as stout as he was growing up. And he didn't have that edge to him. And sometimes that can be characterized as like, you ain't gone through anything tough. And I asked Jared about that. I said, what do you go to when it's hard? You know, what do you go to in the NFL when like you're going to play in the Super Bowl? What do you go to when it's third and eight and you're backed up in your own end zone on the road? He goes, I go to one and 11. I know that I survived that because I remember when I separated my shoulder and you could hear this on that final episode of the drive for Cal separates his shoulder. He's mic'd up, but he stays in the game, throws a touchdown pass and then comes out. And oh, by the way, I think that was the record for a freshman at the time in Pac-12 football with touchdown passes. But the grit that he has came from the game. And I think that's really fun because we love and I love and you love, we love telling these stories about where guys come from and they're amazing because it's their DNA. But sometimes you can create the, the, the grit gene within the sport that you play. And for a guy who we admire and love and Jared, now he's, he's becoming a man or he's older now in the league, he's got his big contract. I still think of that when I know it's hard for him in a game. In his mind, he clicks into 111. And, uh, and I think a lot of us have gone through a quote-unquote 1 and 11 moment in our life. Maybe it's now. Who knows? But it developed his resiliency, and, and that's why a lot of us – and, and their head coach of the Rams still can continue to believe in it. Great job. Gosh, I can remember his freshman year night game at Eugene raining and they had to take him out. He was having trouble handling the ball. Yep. And he, he, I think he may have played the first quarter that night and that's it. And now today here's a guy that's coming off what was termed a disappointing season because he was nine and seven. <laughs> a long way from one and 11, isn't it? Amen. Oh, all right. I love you, Ted. We're going to be doing this a lot more often. Um, give us your feedback. We're putting it on YouTube for the first time so you can see our faces and interact. I know, Ted, when I'm working, I got YouTube kind of rolling with a bunch of videos. Um, we'll also, whatever social platform will be on Ted's Facebook, mine. We'll upload it to Instagram, IGTV as well. Um, and what do you want to talk about? We'll talk about football. We can break down every team. We can talk <laughs> about hoops. We got to talk about the draft. Uh, we're going to go there um, and hopefully bring you along this Pac-12 adventure. So, Ted, thanks for coming, man. That's great. And I echo that. Join in with us because, hey, look, we're all looking for something to talk about. And uh, this is a great way to do it. It's the National Sports Library, YouTube. <laughs> Amen to that. And if you have any ideas for preschool, let me know. Because basically <laughs> teaching, other than this hour of every day, we've yeah. got preschool. All right. Love you, man. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.